Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, returning guest Charlie Clawson, uh, he's here because, well, you know what? He has something to plug. That's Let's be completely honest about it. It's called Earbuds, a podcasting documentary. And you guys might know about it because uh, you contributed to it. In fact, the listeners of Fofop uh, contributed uh, a lot when they were raising the money to put it together. And uh, so it's really exciting that it's now out. So uh, he's here to talk about it. Uh, the man that we call Graham Elwood, but of course he called <laughs> himself Graham Elwood. How are you, sir? Uh, thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's good to be here, man. It's It's been a Aside from the Podfest episode, which was a blast. That was fun. That was good times. Oh, dude. I mean, I enjoyed your contribution. That seemed like one of those moments where you're like, I'm under something. Yeah. <laughs> whatever this character is, whatever, if, if I ever get another Saturday Night Live audition, I think I'm taking this, <laughs> this guy. And the funny thing was about that. Didn't plan it. All I knew was like I brought a bunch of Batman shirts to wear to to the various shows I was going to be on that day. That's that right. was I think Saturday or whatever at Podfest. So I was on your show. I was on um a a panel or something. I was on a couple shows. Your own show. And then Comedy Film Nerds. Yes. So I brought all my Batman stuff and I thought, well, for your show I have a Batman basketball jersey and I'm gonna wear it so it's a sleeveless jersey. So I kind of look kind of Batman trailer parky. Right. And I had no intention. I just came on stage and I was like, hey, I'm Batman. And you went, well, clearly Batman has let himself go. And then that was like, all right. So then I just started playing sort of redneck Batman. I mean, I think who you are is like, I mean, it's very timely, really. You know, like, you know, in the new America, you're alt-right Batman. <laughs> That's who you were. You had your little blog, oh, your little fake yeah. news site, you know, Gotham News, Gotham alt-right news. Gotham alt-right news, which yeah. of course means neo-Nazi. Right, vigilante. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, let's be honest. And this is the thing when you get to the heart of Batman, and it, it, it's a topic that comes up a little bit on this podcast, obviously, but the idea that my, you know, uh, the, the fact that I have so many questions uh, and concerns about capitalism and the effect that like the unrestrained free market or even our version of the unrestrained free market and what it has on society. And I think we're seeing the ramifications of those things all around the world at the moment. But Cap, so Batman, <laughs> I guess Batman the- <laughs> is like a rich guy. Right. Like he's one, a member of the 1% who... Instead of like, you know, enacting social change, uh, decides to go around and beat up poor people dressed as a bat. (laughs) Like there are are bits of that story that are problematic to me. You know, people who probably like, you know, have become criminals because they, you know, didn't have the opportunities that he had as like a member of the 1% and being sent to the right schools and then, you know, having the finances to be able to go and, you know, train with the League of Shadows. You know what? Maybe they could have trained with the League of Shadows if they could have two years off without having to earn an income. What about that, Bruce Wayne? Have you thought about that before you bash (laughs) them in the face, mate? Dude, I would have loved to take an League of Shadows scholarship. Right. I would have absolutely said yes to that. I would have left college or whatever i take it now that's his gap year right like i mean like essentially that's what bruce wayne's doing he's going i'm gonna go and live you know i'm gonna take some prison time like not everybody some people go to prison actually because they're criminals mate not because they're trying to get inside the criminal mind because they're so rich and bored oh it sounds like a rich kid that's like i'm gonna live on the street for six months and then when the six months is up we're back to daddy's uh gold card yeah okay it's not the same thing mate yeah it's like the ceo's camp out for the homeless yeah, yeah. But 
Like they, they have 24 hours in their like, you know, tents wow. that they take otherwise to Burning Man yeah. that cost $10,000 and all have fridges in them and they camp out for the night and they go, I get what it's like to be homeless. Yeah, I got it. And yeah. now uh, back on the jet. No, you've <laughs> just been to like, you know, homeless camp, you know? Like it's like one of those band camps you go for for a week and you pretend you're in a rock and roll star. Right. That's essentially what you've done. Or you pay 10 grand to go play basketball with Michael Jordan or something like that and you right. think you're in the NBA. You're yeah, not. Yeah, you're not. You're not in the NBA. You'll never be in the I NBA. I mean, good on you for having that money spare <laughs> and good on you for pursuing that is what you wanted to spend it on. I don't, I'm, I'm not making judgments. I'm just saying there's a lot of poor people. <laughs> well, I think too the Batman, you know, the Batman that I like and I think the Batman that you like is the one that isn't really necessarily... He beats up the street criminals a little bit, but he really goes after the higher, the, pe- right. the real people that are in charge and all the corruption and stuff like that. So when we were at Podfest, when you said that what flashed into my mind was Clint Eastwood, right? who has had a life of Hollywood privilege. Um, and white man privilege. White man privilege, for sure. He's a good filmmaker. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those things where... Somebody recently close to me who loves Clint Eastwood films recently discovered the whole... Clint Eastwood's like a yeah a proper full on Republican yeah like a not just the I'm a Republican but, but you a know Trumper. the yeah I I don't know how she missed the whole when he talked to the chair yeah like she doesn't this person does not really read newspapers and doesn't really get involved in the news you know mm-hmm. and but I I thought everyone saw when he talked to the chair that was still one of my favorite moments of all time where I was just like well you know what dude I'm still going to enjoy your movies right but. You're out of your mind. Yeah, you're out of your mind. You're talking to a chair. His Twitter campaign during the election was like, oh, man, it was almost as ridiculous as Trump's. Um, And it was really hard to rectify that in my head because I really like his movies. And it's not just like, I don't have a problem with like the Reagan Republicans. Well, I have a problem with the fact that the Republican Party is a... It's a it's a party that openly supports racist politicians and policies. The Democratic Party has many racists in it. The Democratic Party is not a liberal populist party. It's a it's a rich person's Goldman Sachs party that just puts a rainbow flag on stage and says, see, we're for the people. But it's not. It's bullshit. The two-party system is complete bullshit. But the Republican Party has just flat out, as as we've just seen, <laughs> has backed blatantly racist politicians and policies. So my problem well, is... Well, uh, it's kind of like one of those things where it's it's like going to a... Um, do you go to a big chain store where it's a little bit right. cheaper, which is the Republican Party, and the reason it's cheaper is they're exploiting a migrant worker somewhere, yeah. <laughs> right? Or do you go to like the Whole Foods, the right. Democrats, where... A lot of it, it feels like you're concentrating on the wrong things and you're paying overpriced for things right. that like, you know, and it's really, you understand a big corporation because there are chains of it all over the country and like, you know, and that's- And Whole Foods what, has squeezed out the mom and pop health food stores. Right. So that's the thing. So so I think it is a good example of like what the Democrats are like because- right. For those people who believe in those things, it is the best of the two big options right. for those things. But realistically, you should be going to a farmer's market. Yeah. Realistically, what you do believe in is supporting those local producers and whatever and not getting ripped off by those big companies. Right. Um, so, yeah. So then like when I when you – then I just decided to do like my version of, of Trump supporters and Clint Eastwood as Batman – and that was like the most fun I've had on stage in quite a while. It was a blast. Yeah, it, it was, was pretty amazing. Was, so uh, we've already right. got to the American election. So let's talk about the American election already. So um, 
I, I mentioned to you off the air. last election, you mean? <laughs> just gotta keep <laughs> the bring, final one. Just gotta keep. Uh, uh, yeah, the final election. This is it. This yeah. is the last one. The America, two. the yeah. final chapter. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is the thing I was saying to you off air. I was like, you know. I mean, you were like, if I had Australia to go to, you know, I'd just go there and like, you know, set up my life there and I wouldn't be here. And I said, and this is a very white privileged thing to be able yeah. to say, but I was like, well, if this really is the end, I might stick around to see a little bit of the end. Oh, yeah. I like, mean, you know, I might stick around to hear the band play for a little while before I jump off the Titanic. <laughs> you know what I mean? My helicopter like comes the, and rescues The band me. is still playing. Right. The band is still playing, guys. It's Here's what's, you know... We talked about this, um, the first episode we did after the election on Comedy Film Nerds. And, you know, it's interesting. It's all anybody is talking about uh, here in America. Um, and it's, I have a very, I mean, there's a lot of scary scenarios here. I'm trying to remain positive. Right. But there's a scenario, which there's several, which is, look, so... Um, the alt right, which is a neo Nazi organization, right? Let's be honest. Let's let's cut the bullshit. Yeah. The American media is the fucking worst. They're not liberal. They're just corporate, and they're awful. They're awful. There's six multinational conglomerates that own ninety five percent of all major media outlets. So the fact that they're a bunch of liberals who are out to get Trump is hilarious. They made Trump. <laughs> like the head of CBS said during the election, I don't like Trump, but he's good for ratings. Right. There was a time they cut away from Bernie Sanders giving a speech to an empty podium waiting for Donald Trump. So, um, and now they're interviewing. <laughs> because people want to watch the anticipation of Trump. Yeah. It's, it's more than, than Bernie, Sa- Bernie Sanders. I yeah. mean, Clint Eastwood was talking to the podium though. Yeah. We need to. <laughs> he still is. Um, and so like, What's I don't I don't even know where to begin. So now the lately the media has been interviewing the alt right people, which again they're neo Nazis. They are Nazis. They're Nazis as like well they have everyone's got a different point of view. No, they don't. It's really scary to watch America. It's like Germany in thirty two and thirty three, and and Bill Maher said this, and he's absolutely true. What has happened? Liberals in America have cried wolf about. This guy's a Nazi for far too long. We said it about Dick Cheney and Karl Rove. They weren't Nazis. They were just rich, rich guys that were like, how can I exploit this for money? Right. And now there's actual Nazis here. Yeah, that were Nazi-ish. Yeah, <laughs> they were Nazi-ish. They were just like, I'm greedy. Right. I'm going to exploit people. I hate poor- I'm, will- I'm willing to dog whistle to the people sure. who will support Nazis, yeah. but I'm not really Nazi. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly in this for big business. Yeah. Yeah. So- which I think Trump was originally. Like, I think Trump was in this race for big business. He was in it to raise the profile of Trump, whatever, in whatever regard he was going to cash in on it. But now he's the opposite. He's surrounded himself by Nazis. Right. And then it's like, so there's there's Sessions, who's an Alabama, a former Alabama, you know, Klan leader or whatever, p- politician. Oh, an Alabama Klaner? A Klan. Yeah. <laughs> a Klanabama. Yeah. Um, and... He just every day there's some new announcement of a new person that you're just like this is awesome. Steve Steve Bannon from Breitbart. Um, Breitbart is a neo-Nazi news organization. Right. Um, NNN. Why yeah. didn't they call it Triple N? <laughs> Neo-Nazi news. No, I mean, or C N N N. You just put something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Just Christ. Yeah. Right. Christian. Christian neo-Nazi news. <laughs> there uh, probably will be a new C N N N N. Christian neo-Nazi news. Uh, so it's like. You're watching this unfold, and then there's so many things that happen. What I'm tr- the, the good I'm trying to find out of this is, 
that, first of all, the Democratic Party was hijacked by the Clintons a while ago, and it's, it's Hillary Clinton said, I'm going to be the next president no matter what, and blocked everybody. Right. Bernie Sanders, for a year before he announced his nomination, was like, somebody run against her. I'm too old. I'm too much of a crazy hippie socialist. Right. Somebody run against her. My hips hurt. Yeah, my, my, my hips knees hurt. are a bit creaky. Yeah, the yogurt was too warm. I've got things to do. I feel like people are going to compare me to Larry Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't even really want to do this. I remember seeing when he announced his candidacy and never has anyone looked like, like he went down to this tiny little press conference yeah. on the hill and then halfway through he just kind of like stormed off like, I've got things to do. Yeah. I was like, you called this. <laughs> like you, you, were the, you were like, I was like, you don't even want to announce this. You don't even have time to announce yeah. you're running for president. I'd rather be trying to make things better. And so. Uh, we should pause because I reckon the pizza might be ready. Pizza. So I'm going to uh, pause. We're back. We ate some, uh, well, it wasn't pizza. It was uh, French-style flatbread, apparently, is what it said on the box. But it was like, I don't know what it was. I'm from Chicago. I have a distinct idea of what pizza should be. It should be yeah. thick and full, well, full of life. This was like the opposite of that. <laughs> this was, like, a, this was a, 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 like an hors d'oeuvre cracker-ish. Not that it was bad. No. I just It was great. No, it was in the style of pizza. <laughs> like it definitely looked like pizza it was like if you, you know if you go to like some like there's this uh, chef called Heston Blumenthal and he's very famous for all his food is very experiential but it'll also be like something that looks like one thing but it, you know it's something else so like for dessert it'll be like bacon and eggs but the you know the the yolks of the eggs are made from custard and the whites of the eggs are made from you know what I mean like it's all that sort of shit and like when you're eating like an oyster or whatever like he, he makes you like whole a seashell against your ear and like <laughs> like yeah all this like stuff right so I, it, it felt like that sort of thing like that they'd made something else that was meant to look like a pizza but it wasn't actually a pizza and so then when you ate it you were like oh this is not oh this is something i would have called this crackers and cheese yeah i don't know what to, quite know <laughs> what good. this was but it's i enjoyed it great. it was fun i too. mean this is doesn't feel like it's a good review but read on. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you are this Trader Joe pizza, flatbread, French-style flatbread, don't be discouraged. I no. enjoyed you. You're fine. You have good you packaging. Easy, easy to prepare. When we looked at that versus another one, we went with this right. one based on the packaging. And I got to say, nice job. I mean, the other one- I don't I feel like I was misled. I think the other one might have been more pizzery, though. Like, yeah, I feel like we yeah. chose the one that was less pizzery of the two. I would- yeah. But maybe that was like the- I mean, that's maybe the, that's the right idea, right? Like, because you're just like, well, the other one's going to remind me of good pizza, whereas this one's not going to quite remind me of. So I won't judge it as harshly. Right. Ah, I, yeah, I would, go, I, mean? I would go along with that. Yeah. Because I wasn't like, oh, I was like, oh, man, this isn't the kind of pizza I'm used to from Chicago. I was just like, oh, this is a neat thing. I mean, like at a comedy night, for example, when somebody comes on and they've got, and they've got like a puppet. <laughs> or they've like got a prop or something like that, right? You, you can't judge them exactly against the worst ones, right? You're like, yeah, well, I don't know, I don't know what that's like. I mean, you know, this then, is its own thing. And since, at least in America, since those acts, those hacky, horrible acts, really have died out since the '80s and '90s, mm. when someone does one now, it's usually pretty inventive, right? It's usually either mocking. they're reclaiming the puppet. Yeah, yeah, right. There's some. There's some. They're either mocking the old school guys, or they're doing something very new to it, or they're they're not doing song parodies. They're doing original music, and it's funny. Versus the horrible like, and I'm renting the stairway to heaven, or some stupid song parody thing. That well, I mean, alt comedy wouldn't exist without comedy. 
Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, I true. mean, like like a lot of alt comedy. I don't really mean that, but I mean I mean that in a, the lovely affectionate way. That a lot of like alt comedy is deconstructing, you know, right. the previous prevailing form of comedy. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of it relies on that. Like a lot of it's picking apart something that right. it purports to hate, but it wouldn't have half its act if it didn't exist. <laughs> So yes, thank you, thank you, Hacky Rodax from the '80s. We we love all of you. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of Hacky Rodax, uh, Donald Trump is now the president of the elect president elect of the United States of America. It's an interesting system, even that to us as outsiders. Like the fact that like the way you guys do it is so like. Firstly, the fact that like Obama, like in his last year, he just has his whole last year ruined. Right. Like his whole last year. Like, he had to put up with this shit show going on when he was just meant to be enjoying himself going on Fallon and stuff, right? That's what this last year is meant to be about. You know, you go to Camp David for the last time. Yeah. You push a few buttons in the White House. You have some fun for Joe Biden to, you know, provide people with some memes for the internet. You know what I mean? Like, you you know, you you read some mean tweets. This is what he's meant to be doing. And instead he's had this, like, shit show. Can you imagine if you had a job and then, like, a year before you get replaced in the job, like the last year before your retirement, you tell them, we, I'm going to finish up at the end of next year. And then you just have to put up with two other people competing for that job for the whole time. And they're both horrible. And they're both horrible. And one of them, the one who is now one, is his whole thing is going to be dismantling any of the Obama legacy of environmental legislation, of Obamacare, which is not perfect at all. Obamacare has a lot of problems. Right. I'm using it. It's saving me $3,200 a year. So some people will tell you, oh man, it's awful. It's cost me more money. And I'm not arguing with them. I'm just telling you for me, it's been great. Right. Uh, As a guy that is self-employed and runs his own business, it's been very helpful. So um, what is happening, America, the the one side of me is like, oh, we're done. This is going to evolve. You know, we're we're about to explode into violence. It's going to be a really awful thing. Uh, And that might still happen. What keeps me thinking on a positive level is maybe we needed this. We needed to go, hey, everything is broken. The two-party system is completely broken. The way we elect the primaries is completely broken. I mean, Hillary cheated and stole the primary from Bernie. Um, The Electoral College is ridiculous. Um, You know, your vote doesn't count. Um, And everything is, the the media is wrong. The polls were wrong. Everything. Right. Well, I mean, even in the way that the system is like set up, the fact that like Hillary clearly has won the popular vote by like over a million, nearly a million and a half. Yeah, right. Is that what it is? Yeah. Right. So even that is like, why even count the popular vote if you're not going to count the popular Popular vote? vote. Exactly. So it's like (laughs) the thing that's so crazy is so Trump got about 60, (laughs) 62 million votes. Hillary. Well, Kelly Clarkson, uh, the good news is the American people have given you the most votes here on American Idol. But unfortunately, (laughs) there's a the the American Idol uh, Electoral College system. Mm, Yeah. Uh, You didn't get enough of the states that. (laughs) So I I saw somebody post. They're like, well, if we just go to general, you know, there's only there's four states that have a third of the population, California, Texas, Florida and New York. They have a third of the population. But Uh I was like. So that wouldn't represent America. But right now, these two poly, like they only they only campaigned in 15 states. Hillary didn't go to Vermont. Trump didn't go to Wyoming. He didn't need to. Hillary didn't go to Texas. Trump didn't come to California. But if you if every vote counted, 
then every vote would count. And you would need to go to every little town everywhere in America and say, here's why I think you should vote for me. But the primary system is locked out. You, you, and most, like California, I'm a registered independent, meaning I, I don't choose a party. And a lot of states have this. They okay, even that. Let me just talk me through that for a second. Exactly. Because it's ridiculous. To the outside world... The idea that you have to in some way register A to vote and B register as something when you vote. Like, tell me how that works. Because, like, it isn't it meant how, to be- How do you do it? Like, tell me how it does, how it works in okay. Australia. Well, here's how it works in Australia. It, very simply, Australia has compulsory voting, which means that everybody has to vote. So you don't get a choice not to vote. If you don't vote, you get a fine. So the, the argument that people will make against that, and I've made this argument before, so I'm sorry that I'm repeating myself, but- uh, is that, well, Well, that's undemocratic. Democracy is about my right not to vote. Fair enough. Totally applaud that. 100% on your side. All we actually ask in Australia is that you rock up to the place where you have to vote. Once you're actually inside and you've had your name ticked off the roll, you can draw a giant dick and balls on the paper and that's fine. Like, you don't have to vote. You just have to exercise... Like, for your right to not be able to vote, all we ask of you is once every three to four years go to a local primary school, eat a sausage that was prepared by some local community group, stand in line, get your name ticked off and draw a dick and balls on a piece of paper for your right to be able to do that. That's all we ask of you. Otherwise, if you can't be even bothered doing that, we'll send you a $90 fine. So to be honest, if you care enough about your principle of not voting, here's what you do in four years. Save up 90 bucks, pay the fucking fine and stay at home. There is no further after that. And I've had times when I've been hosting shows uh, because my television show has sometimes been discussing the election. Mm-hmm. During those elections, I don't think it's fair of me to vote. So I, in those years, I, I just pay the fine. Because I believe in the idea of compulsory voting, but because my job at those times requires me to be completely neutral, uh, while, ah. but only while the sh- show's on. So if the election falls when the show's not on, I don't have that same problem but i do feel like when i'm doing something you know i I should i shouldn't vote but but anyway you could never get a job in the american media (laughs) for that type of ethics (laughs) right well i just want to be able to tell because this is part of the problem though and we're jumping all over the place but with these labels of left and right Mm -hmm. and whatever and whatever i just want to be able to say hey hey and and this should be the same for everybody right Here's four or five things I'm really passionate about and I want to lobby and kind of, you know, be vocal about those things and try to work for, you know, those sort of things. And, you know, your four or five things might be different. But let's have a debate about why we think these things are different and maybe we can come to some compromise where we do three of my things and we do three of your Mm -hmm. things and we both kind of work out a better way to come up to solve that other thing. Like, I... But I don't want to be labeled just because if I believe in marriage equality, that shouldn't make me a lefty because marriage equality is the thing that people from the left and the right both believe in, but also is the thing that people from both the left and the right should believe in because marriage is in of itself a conservative thing, right? Conservatives believe in marriage, one person with one person. If a gay person wants to say, I want to be with only one other gay person, that is a conservative idea. That's something conservatives should get behind because guess what a lot of gay people want just with one person to do it fucking heaps of other people (laughs) do you mean like even just for them in that sort of and by the way god bless them and no slut shaming from me but uh but from that person you know that conservative person it's actually a more conservative position Mm -hmm. so i think it's terrible when we let these things like 
you know, like marriage equality or like, you know, asylum seeker policy or those sort of things suddenly become defined as being issues of the left or the right. Well, that's part of the problem. So the two-party system creates this division to where you're, it's, it's, George Washington, when he retired as president, the first president of the United States of America, warned against the formation of political parties. And then everyone quickly went about and formed parties. Right. They're like, fuck you, George yeah. Washington. So you don't tell me what to do. This is America. <laughs> that is actually America's prevailing oh. ethos. You can't tell me what, what to, to do, do. Even though this is the America, best thing for you. America, you're not our real dad. It's so oh God. <laughs> that's America's biggest, it's their biggest strength and its biggest problem is because it's like we've been the innovators, and part of being an innovator is is Prevailing thought says this, so we're going to buck the system and find something new. And that has helped create a lot of innovation. That is actually true. Absolutely. Rock and roll, artistic forms have all been created that way. What it then creates when you have a horrible education system um, is then the Americans are the types who are like, hey, Americans, you shouldn't eat all this horrible food. Oh, what are you, the food police? No, it's bad for you. Right. You know, like, oh, the doctor's on my ass about smoking cigarettes. Yeah. It's... Because he's a doctor. He's a doctor. That's how we set up society. And you're, you know, so there was an expert who yeah. knew about these things because you don't. And it's like, I'm going to do something bad for me just to show that I'm a rebel. You're stupid. Right. Well, this is where the anti-vaccination movement and stuff like this takes hold, though, is in that sort of idea of like, you can't tell me what to do just because you have a medical degree and studied this thing and have read a myriad of scientific studies Mm -hmm. and know how to comprehend those studies and understand what the idea of peer review studies are and stuff like that. Well, you know what? Fuck you, because I read an article that my auntie sent me on Facebook and I feel like we're equally qualified for this debate. So what has happened with the two-party system? So just to answer your initial question of how, so you have to register to vote. Mm. And then in most states, you have to pick a party so that you can vote in the primary. And so California passed a law where- But just again, isn't the idea of voting picking a party? Exactly. Like technically, don't like if everyone just registered who they're going to vote for- that, that should be the vote. That is the vote. That is the vote. Why are they making you vote twice? <laughs> the two parties have hijacked the entire political system. You I'm, should. I mean, I, but I still don't quite understand the idea of why you have to register for one party or the other. Like that, what, does anyone ever just go, why are we doing this? This makes no sense. Yeah. Well, it's starting to happen. Okay. People are starting to say no. State of California passed a law several years ago saying independents can vote in the primary. So- the Democrats said, we'll let independents vote in the primary. The Republican Party of California said no. <laughs> Weird. Um, so I guess, I mean, I get the primary thing because, you know, obviously you don't want to like, you know, the, although they, I reckon the Democrats would have fucked it this year anyway. If Democrats could have voted in the Republican primary, he's, and this is why I think the Democrats, you know, made a few mistakes along the way. <laughs> One of them is they wanted Donald Trump. They, di- they didn't attack Donald Trump at the right time. Right. They they saved it way too late because they thought they were doing the cleverest rope or dope of all time. And they were going to like, you know, just let Donald Trump win the Republican nomination. And then the Democrats were going to be in the White House for the next 50 years. That's what they honestly believed. And while they were letting the monster be created, they didn't realize that by the time they had to deal with the monster, the monster was going to be too big for them Well, they as also well. then, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about the Clintons hijacked, why didn't Elizabeth Warren run? Why didn't Joe Biden run? Why didn't some other young person like Camilla Davis from California run? Why didn't all of these other people run? Because the Clintons just blocked them. The Clintons own the whole party and, they're, and they just said no. 
They just, Hillary was like, I'm the next president. That's final, you know, like, and that's just the way it is. And this goes, the, the two parties, this goes back to the two party system, why it's, it's so problematic. It's, it's funny because Americans will argue this thing. And then you tell them something about like, that's how Australia does it. And they go, huh? It's like, you know how many, uh, industrialized free societies don't do their system anywhere close to what we do. I mean, let, let's, let's, I mean, firstly, let's not get even into voting on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Like, you know, most people work on a Tuesday, right? right? It's, it's designed to keep the electorate small, right? The smaller it is, the easier it is to manipulate. Look at the, look at our, look at this. So 63 million people voted for Donald Trump and almost 65 voted for Hillary. Five or almost six million people voted third party, Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. Another hundred million potential voters didn't vote. It's 167 million people that did not vote for Donald Trump. Right. And yet he's going to be the president. He won't be my president. I will never acknowledge that he will be the president um, because I want California to secede. So... (laughs) So, um, I mean, they've legalized weed now too. So for me, that is, that has really, I probably, you know, I was talking to you off air about, you know, the decisions about in my life. And I must say that like legalizing weed, I was like, well, well, California, you might keep me for a little while longer. It's not a coincidence that Colorado that legalized it, two things have happened. One, they have made so much tax revenue. Right. So much. They have now, it's become a tourist attraction. Yeah. And look at that. They voted blue. They voted Democrat. They voted. So we need to dismantle. The, I mean, what my hope is that this, the fallout from this election will be every, because you look at, you got to look at the other thing. Donald Trump destroyed the Republican party. Right. He crushed them in the primary. He stood on the stage and said, Hey, Jeb Bush, your dad lied about Iraq. Like he said crazy shit. Oh, I mean, it was fun when he was doing it to his own one. Yeah. So that was the, that was that was the problem. Right. That's why people indulged him for so long because they were like, "Oh, that's what I'd like to say to Ted Cruz." Yeah. I'd like to accuse Ted Cruz's dad of being involved in the JFK assassination. <laughs> I'd like to call him Lion Ted all the time. You yeah. know, like I'd like to fan the idea that he's actually the fucking Zodiac killer. Yeah. Like I mean. <laughs> I mean, this is the Donald Trump that went on like you know, TV during the debates and defended his penis size. I mean, yeah. this is, it was amazing. But the problem was that the Republican Party have like created some of that for their own selves is that they had no one decent to beat him. Like if there had been anyone decent, if they had a party, but they have been fanning these things for so long and like cashing in on these things for so long and kind of winking and nodding to these groups for so long, you know. And also demonizing education. If you're educated, you're a liberal elitist. Right. And it's like, so so there's a lot of things happening here too. If you look at, there was a someone from the um, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, which is a big, <laughs> want to talk about a corrupt foundation. And- he said in an interview, they were like, he asked somebody, he goes, how do you think the women's movement started in America? Wow, women decided we wanted our own rights and this, that. And the other thing he said, nah, we sat down and looked and said, wait a minute, if we give women jobs, um, two things can happen. More people are working and paying taxes and they won't be there to raise their kids and we can control the education system and control what people think. So now you've got all these people and then you've got the media, which is, it's just all corporate run. And 
anyone on any political side can point to this is where the media is bullshit. So nobody believes the, the media. So now it's easy to slide in with the Breitbarts and the whomever else and say, oh, this is what it is. Well, I've had so many people online. The real media allowed itself to become bullshit. Right, that right. was the problem. Once those major news sites and things like that started going for the click through, you know, that you'll never believe what happened next. The, you know, George, uh, yeah. you know, like uh, boobs uh, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay's dwarf porn double dies in yep. Foxhole or whatever <laughs> because they need a few clicks through. But you invited them in. And so then when people started like, you know, spinning off, people couldn't tell actual news from fake news because the actual news had started looking like fake news. Here's what happened. In the late 80s, early 90s, big corporations bought up news. And the news department of a TV station um, didn't need to turn a profit ratings-wise. Right. And they were walled off specifically from the ad sales and all that stuff for a very good reason. So then what happened, the big corporations took it over and said, you need to turn a profit. So now these, these ridiculous stories that were like page 30 in the newspaper, you know, somebody sleeps with who or whatever, you just said the foxhole, Gordon Ramsay, whatever. Now that's front page news. And so what has been happening is then that started in the 90s. So, and then also the pharmaceutical companies were allowed to advertise on American TV in the 90s. Um, so now there's been a complete corporate control of everything. And what they're realizing is if we just split every, we distract, split them up into two sides, red and blue, and just give them teams to vote, to fight for the, the, the Republican Democrat thing is just like the goddamn Chicago bears versus the Oakland Raiders. And, and the same thing with religion. Everyone just like, I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm a, I'm a, you know, a Southern Baptist and I'm a fucking Dallas Cowboys fan. Like it's the same, it's just another team to select. And so it's easy then to distract. So you've got all these people, like everyone's, every of the Trump supporters, all their complaints of Hillary, the majority of them were very valid. She's corrupt, her foundation, but then they're so easily, they, they, Trump's foundation is completely corrupt. Right. He just paid $25 million for his fake fucking university. To settle what? a fraud case. Yes. And then the judge who helped the settlement, he uh, recruited her as part of his uh, team or the judge or right. one of the people involved. Like literally, if this shit was like something that Kim Jong-un was doing, yeah. like people, it would be the stuff that get mocked on The Daily Show, right? Yeah. I mean, I know this stuff is also getting mocked on The Daily right. Show, but I, when it's up close, Dude. Like, and the, the rush from people to try to normalize the ridiculous nature of it. That's the problem. Well, he's because our if, president. We all got to get in line. If Fuck this that. becomes the new normal, like, you know, if the way he behaves, the way that he flaunts, like, you know, the role of what your leader in a democracy is meant Ugh. to be, the way that he's clearly not going to, like, separate his business interests from his political interests and, like, you know, the the I mean, he's really just going to, you know, go through and ransack the fucking building for all he can. Dude, it's, it's like... and. He just released his, his his first speech. It was on YouTube. There was no press there to ask right. him questions because he he just did a New York. Uh, I mean, he is really a YouTube comment come to life, though. So <laughs> it's just does make sense. And nobody want. I mean, he was talking rigged election, and I'm not going to accept the results leading up to it. And all of his supporters were saying, not all, but many of them were like, well, I might have to get my gun and settle this the old way. And then they're all like, oh, you liberal crybabies with your protests. Like, it's insane. It's insane. I started posting on Facebook and Twitter like, 
Uh, those Boston Tea Party, a bunch of liberal crybabies who don't want to pay a one cent tax for tea, if, you know, just get a job rather than pollute the ocean. Like I was just taking all their, <laughs> you know, I was like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, bring, bring a bunch of liberal elitists. Just accept that King George is your leader. Like I'm just taking their words. And I, and in their posts, it's funny, like when I just were saying, like, if you voted for Trump, you at the very least, you might not be a racist, you're supporting racism. Right. And all these white males were like, you're wrong, shut up. Well, that's the truth, though. That's that's the one. Like, you know, it's the, I've mentioned this before again, but like, I'm sorry, I'm in these conversations to the listeners, I apologize, because if I have similar conversations with people, I may sometimes repeat the same mm-hmm. things. But it's that it's the simple uh, beauty of that Fox News Simpsons joke. You know, the one Fox News, not racist but number one with racists. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what it is. You know, like, that's, it's let all those people have a legitimacy to their voices and their opinions mm-hmm. that we hope that we had perhaps moved on from. We didn't, we knew that society hadn't stopped saying them, but we got to a point at least where we felt like people felt shame to say those things or were embarrassed to say those things or wouldn't in polite company mm-hmm. ever think to tell somebody to go home to where they came from or to take off their headscarf or that their time was coming or it wasn't their American now or, you know, whatever the fuck all these things are that people have been saying already, you know. Yeah, but- I post I posted when you see a white Trump supporter, tell them to go back to Europe. And and I got a lot of laughs and then I got a lot of Trump supporters not going to go, oh, I thought you were liberal open-minded. If you're... I'm like, God damn, you guys are so brilliantly great at not getting the point well, of the I joke mean, I'm making. But that's but- the thing. That's why the argument is so, I think, effective in some ways is that they are impossible to argue rationally with because we've moved into this like, you know, post-truth world, this post-fact world. Mm-hmm. We let the idea of people lying and telling the truth, that, that the value we had on that, Remember, Honest Abe, I know people have always lied, but we used to, you know, and there always has been that joke about the honest politician, but we did actually demand it of them for a while. You know, you told us things in your campaign, and if you did not do those things you promised, people would hold you accountable at the next election for not doing the things that you promised. But we so let politicians' promises be devalued, and we let them get away with so much to the point where we were just like, oh, well, they all lie. And then we went that damaging step further, which is we decided that all lies had equal weight. And that's where we lost it. That's where we, as the audience, let them do what they're doing now. Because the minute that you fucking believe, and I agree with you, Hillary Clinton, uh, look, I'll tell you, I think there were plenty of good reasons she could have done the job. She, uh, which, you know, it would have been great to see a woman be the first sure. president of the United States of America. She clearly would have been competent. She knows what she's doing. She's been yeah. around it. You know, she's had worldwide experience. She wanted it and, you know, and she knows how it works. I think those things you can definitely give her she would know, have text looked, for. It would have been. And I think that, I'll just finish this and then I'll, the only, and the other thing I was going to say is what she had to put up with I actually think she did a very good job. Yeah. I don't think she did a great job of campaigning during the campaign, but I think she did a very good job of, in the face of the worst, the most horrible thing ever, right. like to show the dignity and grace that for most of it she showed. That, yeah. So I'll say all those things in her defense. And the, the last thing is, I think it would be hard to argue in a world where people just don't give a shit anymore. They think that your, your email thing, as matter as how oh, bad it God. is, I don't care. I, I said before the election, I said, she could be the second worst candidate for the US president that there is. Right. And maybe she was. But there was another guy who was worse. 
Yeah. Like there was there was still another worse one. And the people and like the the email thing that actually didn't really bother me because a lot of people, Secretary of States used Condoleezza Rice did. And um then they bring up Benghazi and it's like a lot of people look uh, Well Donald Trump's calling people on his home on his yeah, I mean, private phone. It's like everyone everyone uses a private server when they come home and every Secretary of State has and and sadly ambassadors have died under every Secretary of State's watch because right. you know what? America's a target and people blow up embassies and it's awful and it's sad and it's too bad and it's 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 not a good thing. But my problem with with the Clintons is just they're just this big corporate machine that did they just run everything their their relationship with people i mean they're funded she was fun, funded by goldman sachs had she become president you're absolutely right she would have run it would have been business as usual corporate politics corrupt but if things would have got done. Like I'm, I'm from Chicago. Like a Chicago mayor would have just like, well, everybody's getting their kickbacks, and right. they, you know. But business as usual is actually a really nice way of describing right. it. I think you would have got what we've had. Right. It would have just been business as usual, yeah. and so. But now we've got the thing that is that is. I, I want to believe now. Now we've got bankrupt as usual. Oh fuck. <laughs> Well, here's the thing that I don't think everyone. So, so the people that supported him are like, I don't take what Trump says literally. Right. The entire world does, though. Yeah. And secondly, if your best hope for the person you've just voted to run both your country and the free world is that he he wasn't telling the truth most of the time, like it's so funny, and it just shows you the political system. Like the libertarians, had they picked anybody other than Gary Johnson, who didn't know a goddamn thing, he didn't know where that was his big thing. He didn't know where Aleppo, Syria was, right? right. If they would have picked a reasonable libertarian, now that party is, in my opinion, seems like it's a little outdated. But if they would have picked somebody that really knew what they were doing, that guy could have stolen a state or two's electoral votes and thrown this thing up in the air, right? You know, and maybe we had to have a runoff election. I don't know what, but it's like. But again, the two-party system will not allow, they have this bullshit, you have to get 13% of the vote or, 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 the, or the, in a poll to, a, to qualify for the, for the uh, debates. I mean, imagine what America would look like, and I don't know, but had they had Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, Gary Johnson, and then Trump and Hillary on national TV in front of 50, 60 million people talking. Right. You know, Jill Stein, who just went, steamrolled at the Democratic Party and Hillary's like, you guys are corporate's bullshit. You're not the liberal progressive party. My hope is that the DNC, the DNC, the Democratic Party gets gutted and we actually come back to a party that is like what FDR started, which was the populist party for the working people. That's what the Democratic Party used to be. And the Republican Party gets called out for what it is. It's like you are now letting Nazis in the White House. And we we gut the political system. We we gut the two parties. Like I don't want to destroy the two parties, but they need to be changed. But let let's get rid of their control. If that's what happens, and the media has to change, and and you're seeing a lot of like sort of liberal moderates getting pushed into left wing activists. More people are paying attention. More people are writing. Paying like I I said this myself. I don't know who my local. In, in the city of Santa Monica, I don't know the, who's on my school board. Well, now I'm going to start learning who the fuck they are and what they're what they're all about. So if that's what happens, man, I'm all for it. Or we're going this country's going to blow up because the other alternative is let's say so when Ferguson happened, uh-huh. Craig Ferguson, 
Craig Ferguson, yep. when he happened, it almost destroyed America <laughs> when you had an unknown Scotsman on late night TV. <laughs> That's the real tragedy here. Um, Scottish they, lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, you know, so when the Ferguson shooting happened two summers ago, Obama was the president. Right. He sent the attorney general to investigate this. So the next time one of these shootings happens, and they're going to happen where an unarmed black man gets shot by a white cop and there's riots, and Trump's the president? What's going to happen? Right. He's going to send the National Guard. He'll be in charge of the military and be like, oh, just clean them out or whatever. And he'll make some, and all of his people, his chief of staff, Steve Bannon, will, they'll make horrible remarks in the news. Like, ah, the blacks, they don't know how to act or whatever. And like, then this country will go up in smoke. And it's like, and while that's going on, Putin is going to just start cherry picking, grabbing former Soviet countries and putting them back under his fucking cape. <laughs> right. And who's going to stop him? Well, not America. No. Well, because I, Amer like Donald Trump actually said, although, you know, maybe he's just lying half the time. Who knows? Oh, God. Toss your coin. He's like, yeah, he's like Two-Face. That's what he is. <laughs> he's got a coin and he just decides which half of his crazy promises. Oh, build, a, great. build a wall. Don't build a wall. wall. Build a wall. Don't build a wall. Um, so uh, he, he has said, firstly, like, you know, that he's... Yeah, his foreign policy is not going to be as extensive. They're not that America is not going to be the world police. They're not going to get involved in in things, which may may mean that like you know Japan has to get nuclear weapons because this and South Korea has to because of North Korea and China. you change the world already, right? So China has already for the last couple of years just annexed this island in the South China right. Sea and make it a military base. Well, essentially they've been building artificial islands, right? Like that's really essentially what they've been doing. They've been building up these things just to get extra territory. But they've just been doing that while America's distracted, basically. And then and what's now no one's gonna now? care. And then Trump's like in league with the Russians. Or worse yet, this Islamophobe, uh, you know, hard right wing former general that he wants to appoint, that guy's gonna be in charge of the military? Is he gonna just be like, Oh, go attack China? Right. Or go attack Russia because there's there's old old school Republican Reagan Republicans that right. still want to settle the old Soviet Union score and Putin's a KGB guy. So either we're going to do nothing because we're in, we're too much internal fighting, and Trump is going to go from lawsuit to lawsuit to not pay attention, or we're going to react in a really stupid way. I did see somebody uh, tweet the other day, and I wish I could. Uh, I bet I was in a kind of the list of the funniest tweets around these sort of topics. And so I, I apologize to the person who who tweeted it, but it's not my thought. But they were, they did say, ah, oh, so Germany uh, will save America at the end of World <laughs> War Three. This is a good final act, and I was like, <laughs> that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, man. It's but like, yeah, I, I mean, know. if you look at the other countries in the world i mean well france is about to go right wing as well you know you've got england you know really that's the final you know of the the, the great british empire i mean this is the thing we talk about the you know, people compare and i've been guilty of it myself comparing america to the the fall of rome you know empire's end and this may just be the end of yep the american empire and that might not mean that america like when you go from number one it doesn't mean you drop back to you know, number 20 or whatever. Like, you know, like, I mean, Russia, you know, was 
you know, right. in the mix and then, you know, <laughs> had to go and regroup for 20 years, you know, play some new kids and sort of rebuild, <laughs> you know, like you have to lose some to win some, you know, get some future draft picks, get some things yeah. in place. China, very same thing. China are very much gone, yeah, what was that Brad Pitt movie? A money ball. China, that, they've got the money ball approach to world domination. That's what they've been doing. They've been working on the Chinese dream. It's all about, you know, the economy, mm-hmm. just buying up things, building your own oceans, getting in place. And, you know, like America, they've made the mascot the coach. So... <laughs> Oh, man. It's like... So, it, it, But it might be that. It just might be that subtle adjustment in world power. But the thing that keeps me from thinking that that will happen in an easy way is that America still have the most guns. Huh. And, the, you know, they still have, you know, the big army and the most guns. And at the end of the day, we know that Americans have no hesitation by trying to solve things through violence. And that's the bit where it suddenly becomes interesting. Like, you know, it might get to that point where America in its desire to preserve, you know, America first, mm-hmm. you know, becomes the, the villain of this story. We're very, I mean, the, the, there's several things here. I, I read a story that like the right wing people are sweeping over a, a lot of the world. Yeah, like you definitely. said, like the Brexit thing, France, well, they're, they're coming all over the place. And it's like... I believe it's a response to two things. like Globalization. You know, well, firstly, globalization, you know, and the free market. You know, yeah. I've spoken a million times on these podcasts, but capitalism is a great system to move third world economies into first world economies. It is not the system by which you should actually operate a first world economy. But... It's true. That's just exactly what it is. Because if you operate by the same system as you used to move, just even think about that. It moved you from being a third world economy into a first world economy. Do you really think you should be taking, it's like taking the diet pills to lose the weight. And then when you've lost the weight, still taking the diet pills every day. No, 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 no. (laughs) Things are going to fuck up if you take that approach, right? And so what has happened is it it ends up in inequality. And the other thing is the progress of globalization. So like the fact that ordinary jobs are being replaced by machines and robots and the internet and the way it disseminates news. So the, the internet and that sort of like that stage of where we are, those two things have combined so that around the world, there's a whole bunch of people who feel very dispossessed, but they're also being fed these messages of the reason that you don't have something is that group. Yeah. By the elites who own all the media. Well, that's the thing. The 1%, I just, I was just talking to some friends last night and the fact that like, um, when the CNN was just doing this fun loving story with the alt-right gang, you know, and they're, they're going to shake up Washington. And we were just like, how come the like Jewish community isn't going screaming? Like, and we were just like, is something up? It's like, we feel, I feel like we're being punked or there's some puppet thing happening like there's some end game here that's going to be revealed and I don't know what it is, but it's like, it just feels very much like the people that are truly in control, the one right. percenters, the Rothschilds, <laughs> those types of people are just going, oh, we need to do this because they'll never, you know, they don't want to, if they if the top 1% disseminated their wealth equally, then the world would be a much better place. Right. So there's something. Without a doubt. And those people don't need all that money. No, 
They don't need it. And also those people have not, as human beings, if we're at a point in our lives as human beings, we're acknowledged that at least that everybody should have some sort of equal opportunity. Right. And we're a million miles from uh, away in this world from, with, even within communities or families, mm-hmm. that being the case, let alone when you broaden it out to be across like, you know, states or countries mm-hmm. or worlds. But the idea now that somebody is born with billions and trillions of dollars and that there are people still starving, I am fine. If we get to a point where everyone has a basic level of you know, income in the world, mm-hmm. that there is also within that system that people have an opportunity to do better than other people because I think that that is what drives human evolution. Sure. Like There's sure. part of it that is necessary. But I think that it is immoral to have more than one boat when there's people fucking starving in yeah, Africa. For sure. Not even just Africa. Here, go to downtown Los Angeles. Have you ever driven by Skid Row? There's, there's fucking shanty towns in downtown Los Angeles amidst these giant high-rises in the goddamn Staples Center. There's people living... It's, it's, you don't have to go to a third-world country. It's, hap- it's right here. And it's like no one... I, 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 you know... But it's been built into the system because yeah. what the problem is that we've been sold by advertising since the mo- moment we were born. Everywhere we walk, you can't walk down the street without, they say now, 5,000 images a day you see of advertising every single day. Now, you're not processing those images critically. And here's what almost all advertising is telling you. There's something better than what you have right now. Yeah. And if you, you need that. So we've been told that. From the minute we're born, that like, you know, it's something better, right. that it's advertising. And we created this society where it was all about entertainment and entertainment became, news became entertainment. Mm-hmm. So news needed to have the most entertaining candidate. And we've, we've confused someone being famous with somebody being competent now because, you know, fame is so embedded in this idea of, and we've got to the point where we don't find it immoral, these amounts of money. In fact, we celebrate them. Mm-hmm. You know, you celebrate Kim Kardashian because she's rich or Kanye because he's rich or whoever. Like, I mean, I'm not specifically saying those people even are problematic. It's more the whole culture the of The culture like, that created them. Right. The culture that's that puts them over, you know, and that's the other thing too. It used to, I mean, when I was kind of a kid, if someone was really smart, you... I mean, sure, sometimes you made fun of the smart kid or whatever, but a lot of times you went, well, I want to be smart. I want right. to learn. If I, don't, if I don't know that thing and I kind of feel dumb, I want to read about it. I want to get more knowledge versus now it's just like, Ugh, you know, and, and fame and money can come in the form of you don't even have to have a talent or a skill or anything. You just have to be able to, you know, be ridiculous. I'd love us to have a conversation one day about like in companies, I think I would love to see, because we've got this new shareholder system now. So they're always looking to, you know, this is why people get laid off or jobs get sent overseas is because the shareholders need their dividend on their investment in the company. The company used to be like the boss who, and then like he wanted to make a bunch of money so that he could pay his bills and then right. he could pay all the people who work for him, like, you know, in that factory and then hopefully, you know, make a bit of profit and whatever. And so he looked after his workers because his workers were the people mm-hmm. who were actually like, you know, he, he his first priority was like his customers and his workers, you know, because that was the right. arrangement. But now it's shareholders, you know, and then suddenly they want more profit. So you're like, well, fuck these workers. We'll get some right. workers in China who'll do it for like a third of the price or whatever. So firstly, you have that idea, you know, the way that companies have changed. But the second one is, I think there should be a value conversation that we never have in society about with these companies, about how much more we think the boss is worth than 
the person who gets most poorly paid at that company. Now, I'm happy for you to say that there is an amount, right? You know, the boss might have a lot of more high-level responsibilities and those sort of things. But I think as human beings and how we value work and how we value people's contributions to the society, there is a point where that becomes ridiculous. At the moment, you have these companies where the CEO is being paid a thousand times more than what the poorest person who's working at the company is getting paid. I mean, even if it was just a hundred times, even if like the boss could only earn a hundred times what the poorest worker at the factory does, what that immediately does is cuts out these ridiculous executive salaries and all that sort of stuff for a start. But secondly... It, it, it gives the boss an incentive because here's how the boss makes more money. If he wants to earn more money, he has to make sure that the poorest person at the company right. earns more money. Because if his salary is tied to the idea that I get, you know, a hundred times whatever Gary gets, right. then here's what you want to do. Sell more stuff and what whatever so that Gary's getting 50 a year and then you can earn. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the idea that there is a disparity between, but I think we could have a conversation about how much we think that is. How much can one person really be worth more than somebody else. I just don't know. Yeah, I'd love to see that. It's, it's. I don't know how you as a person can just like, well, I need my bonus and so I'm going to cut jobs. I'm going to put people out on the street. Like I just, I don't know where the ethics and morality have gone in any of this. Not that, I mean. Well, and, I mean, I, this is the Wall Street thing too, isn't it? Which is the idea that, you know, the idea even of like, yeah, these people, these people making like the Wall Street bonuses, you know, mm-hmm. last year were like more than like I think half of America right. in total or something ridiculous like that, right? And these other people who brought the country down in the first place who never really learned any lessons and are back doing pretty well, much. Well, that guy from Wells Fargo things. that just got fired and he got $134 million right. for committing crimes. So <laughs> you've got all these guys making all this money, not creating anything. And I'd like us to have a conversation about that because at the end of the day, yes, they are moving money around and whatever in a way that helps other people create things and helps business, but they're not creating anything. Mm. They're making money on moving money around. And do we really think that the highest paid job in our society should be for the people who don't create the things, who don't make the things, who just move the money around to make some other people money? Like These are people who are making money out of money. Right. Do we really feel like they should be the most rewarded, most valued people in our society? I would argue that I don't think that is the case. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, would <laughs> I don't know, Will. That sounds like liberal hippie <laughs> bullshit to me. But I am one of the elite. <laughs> and <laughs> I got a house in two different area codes. So I hear what you're saying, guys. I understand that some people might, you know, point the finger of, I, you know, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some difference between the value of people's contributions. I'm just saying, I reckon we're at a point now where somebody can earn $130 million a year when, you know, somebody has to work three separate minimum wage jobs to try to get their kids to a good school is just, uh, that, that seems to me like a society that is broken. And it's no matter who you elect, that that is going to continue to be problematic. I well, of course, thought. when, 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 look, man, the the George Bush gave $700 billion to bail out the banks in September of 2008. Obama gets elected in February of 2009. He gives another $700 billion, $1.4 trillion in, quote, bailout stimulus money. It was right. all taxpayer money. None of these banking people went to jail. 
And some people whose houses were upside down and mortgages got bailed out, and some people didn't. I was one of the ones who did not. Right. And it's like you 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 look at this system and it's just like it's completely corrupt. The banks run everything, and the Republicans and Democrats, it's goddamn pro wrestling. Like it's just it's it's and and so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there needs to be some type of revolution. I have no idea, but I know it it's not gonna be with putting neo-Nazis in the White House. But I don't know, maybe the reaction to that, maybe this is the American people need to wake up. I mean, America has always been very racist, but I don't think people realized it was this racist. And I don't think they realized the danger of the rhetoric of Donald Trump is actually creating more racists by people who are sort of like, well, they have, I don't know, and I just want America to be safe. And then someone that's a little, you know, you're impressionable. And you, you know, and I come up to you and say, yeah, but it's that group. And then you go, oh, okay. And then this guy's like, they, and they're, they're sugar-coated Nazi talk. Hey, I'm not against people of color. I just support the white man. Right. Well, that sounds reasonable. Ah, it's right. Like, what's wrong with that? I you mean, know? particularly if you're in a community where, I mean, because that where you're not exposed to people all, all mm -hmm. the time. If you're in a place where you're sheltered and the only information you're getting is through these things, then of course, it's a natural part of human evolution that like, you know, we're meant to be afraid of other people. We, mm -hmm. we are afraid because it was the thing that preserved us for so long. But again, this is like one of those things where I just love us to have a conversation yeah. as a society and go, hey, you know that survival instinct we have within us? It's causing problems. Yeah. So can we just fucking chill out a bit on the fact that like, and just deal with this for a second? There's not a tribe next door that's going to attack us. Right. They're just the people in another town. I mean, there might be soon. Yeah, well, yeah. In America, it will be. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, enough about that. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on from that. But uh, let's talk about Earbuds. Yeah. Uh, the uh, podcasting documentary that you started shooting when? How long has this been a project for you guys? We first shot footage at the 2013 PodFest. Um, and that footage was going to be, we used that footage, some of it for the Kickstarter. So we uh -huh. shot that in whatever, October 13, in late January 14, we started the Kickstarter that funded the end of February. And then we were in pre-production in March and we started shooting April, May, and June in of 2014. And it is now, I believe, without looking at the calendar, but I'm going to say it is uh, nearly December. It's end of November <laughs> yeah. 2016. And it's just been released, though. It's, it's, just, it's out now, right? It's a comedyfilmers.com. It's exclusively there. Uh, people have asked. It will be on iTunes and Amazon down the road. Uh -huh. But it's uh, So what we're selling, uh, the whole film is a download. DVDs will be available probably in the next couple of weeks. But right now, you can go to comedyfilmers.com. The whole feature film, it's an hour and 45 minutes for standard def $7.99, high def $8.99. And then we have an hour of bonus coverage. Now, uh, can I just say, before we get to the hour of bonus coverage... Uh, high def versus standard def. Like I'm always, I mean, traditionally, cause I'm not really a visual person. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and plus I'm from Australia where we have terrible internet download speeds, but <laughs> I have a little bit more luxury in America where I can go, well, maybe I will watch this in high definition. Maybe I guess I will watch Westworld in high definition. I've got the time in America, but I, I don't have the months that it would take me to download something in high definition in Australia. So, um, what what will I lose in this? I mean, it's not Avatar, right? No, Am I it's, gonna, look, it's a documentary. So so will I get to the end if I order standard definition and just think I didn't really feel like I got the full <laughs> no, extent man. of Doug Benson's face or something? Is that? 
Like, didn't feel like I got that full smoky glow around yeah, we, Doug. <laughs> you need Doug in high def. Right. No, I, I'm saying, if, that's why we did it. We made it a very affordable, easy entry point. If you're like, I don't need a high def version for a documentary. Right. There's cool footage in there visually. We tried sure. to shoot like we shot... In the Outback? You're in the Outback of Australia? The Sydney Opera House during the Light Festival thing. Uh, I mean, you know what? That's almost worth your high def. If you've got a big TV, yeah, it's worth some sweeping shots of the Outback and the Sydney Opera House. (laughs) And and you. Right. And your interview. But like... Yeah, and then we sell the whole thing. You can buy the the down the bonus features just for two ninety nine, or you can bundle them for ten ninety nine. So it's been. It's, so what what are the bonus features? It's an hour of extra content. So we've got an extended interviews with like Freakonomics guys. Um, we had a whole segment in the movie that was going to be showing the transition from radio to podcasting. We ended up having to cut that because so many people came to interviews and started talking about how podcasting helped deal with their mental illness and depression. Right. So we made that more of a focus. Um, we've got to, I did this sort of long form interview after the last day of shooting after PodFest, where I just sort of had digested the process of shooting this movie for three months and what it meant to me and how it sort of changed me and affected me in ways I didn't think it would, because like I compared it to all those, those, tours I did in Iraq and Afghanistan and how those like really changed my life and they were amazing. And I sort of just put them up at the top shelf, like nothing will ever compare to that. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. But then, so I talk about that and how this process and, you know, we saw shot, uh, we did fan interviews at this theater in Sydney. And we also did this in Chicago and LA and New York. And we just said, come on down if you're a podcast fan. And especially Sydney, people lined up. I mean, it was like, and one girl who's in the film, you know, talked about how it, really helped her through like a, an abusive situation. And, and I didn't know her, I didn't schedule that interview. And we had a bunch of those where people just walked in off the street. So it's, it's, um, it's the coolest thing. And and I think obviously everybody listening, you're a podcast fan, you get it. So you'll love it. You're going to see a bunch of cool, but, um, podcasters, some you may listen to some not, but also I think anyone out, all of you listening, I'm sure you have friends and family who are like, what the fuck, podcast, what is this thing, what is it? This is the movie to show them. I've done screenings at a festival in San Francisco, Romania, Napa Valley, all over the place, and there's always at least half of the audience is like, I barely knew what podcasting was, that's why I came to this screening, and now I'm in, I love it, how do I get more? So I think it's really sort of a, a cool it's a view into the cool little LA comedy podcast scene, the LA pod fest scene, but also the global reach of it. We went to Australia, we went to Japan, we went all over the U S. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's the second feature film that I've directed and it's such a cool, rewarding thing, especially the way it was done. Some of you listening helped get this movie done. We were just talking about how we need to have a conversation about the inequities of, of wealth and corporate policies. And like, I love this podcast world. You guys helped fund this, you know, like I was, I was talking to JJ Whitehead. Do you know him? He's a uh-uh. Canadian comedian. He's really funny. He's a, a real good guy. And, uh, he's done this podcast before and uh, we were t- talking for something else, but he's just got an album come out. And he sent me a message and he's like, he goes, I had, you know, Facebook spammed everybody. And he goes, I just felt really guilty and embarrassed. And I was like, mate, firstly, I firstly, no shame. Like if you have made something, if you've put your heart and soul into something, Mm -hmm. I have never understood this idea that 
it is embarrassing to tell Promote people it. about those things. Like shops have like thing. Yeah, remember you know like how you know how to go to McDonald's because there's golden arches up mm-hmm. the top. You're allowed to tell people that it's on, mate. You're allowed to advertise <laughs> that you have burgers. Like, you don't have to say, like, McDonald's isn't just like a blacked out fucking window and you have to guess which door to go Dude. through in case you might get some burgers. Like, so I've, firstly, I've, that. I've had this conversation with so many comics about, you know, like, oh, I don't like selling merch after shows or whatever. I, I And I was like, okay. And I've even taken some flag, oh, Graham, you're Johnny Merch or whatever. But I'm like, I think about merch from the fan standpoint. Right. I have a Batman uh, cookie jar. I have a Chicago Bears uh, football, American football helmet that you can put chips in and then they put dip in the face mask. Warner Brothers and the fucking National Football League were not like, "Ah, I don't know. Does anyone want to (laughs) buy? No, they were like product. These people will want it. So you if you think of as an artist and entertainers if you think of the thing you're selling from a fan standpoint from when i go to comic con and i see right you know a batman whatever rings and i go oh, i got to buy these batman <laughs> you know like the batman shirt i'm wearing right now Think of your product the way a fan would. Your fans are like, oh, I want to hear this person. Right. This if you if cool. you make something cool and then you offer it to them, because it's not like it's compulsory yeah, to yeah, I'm not jamming. Or you're like standing there at the end of your show with like a sick child. Yeah. Like or a dog. <laughs> you know, like like a homeless person will always get money from me if they if they have a dog. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like at the end of your shows and you've just got a dog and I'm like, oh, mm. you know what? <sighs> I guess I'll buy a t-shirt for because so the dog gets food. <laughs> <laughs> how much of this cd money is going right, to feed the, the dog? dog how much right. goes the dog food that's my question before i buy um so firstly that but secondly i think in these day in this day and age more than ever that we need to look after each other we have this network of like different performers and like i don't think we do it enough like i would love if like, you know, when I have, when I'm on like the road or whatever, and someone takes the time to like retweet one of my dates or maybe even add a comment, like I was in Portland the other weekend and Ian Carmel um, just, you know, retweeted the dates and just said something really simple, just like, hey, Portland, go along, you know, he's funny or whatever. Like, you know, something very, mm-hmm. A, thank you. Like, like, nice guy, well done. But B, I try to do that when I can and whatever because it doesn't really cost me anything mm-hmm. to do it. And you're helping out another performer. It, it doesn't hurt me. And you, you're taking just a tiny little bit of time to retweet their thing or their short film or their whatever it is. And maybe hopefully that they might do it back to you. But even if they don't, like it's – I think we have this network. We already have – we're all all over social media. Right. We're all on Twitter. We're all on Instagram. We're all on right. Facebook. If we actually thought about it and coordinated a little bit rather than thinking we're – like comedians, you know, people in our industry – could be a really predominant, powerful community yeah. and organization on there because most of us are good at those things and we're all, all over them. So imagine we started just kind of helping each other out and looking after each other and those sort of things, how powerful that might be. You wouldn't need... Here's, I'll make this practical example. Imagine if instead of having to get on the Tonight Show or having to get on like you know one of those sort yeah. of shows... 
you record five minutes of really funny stand-up comedy and like you know you stand you send it to me and go hey i just did this five you know i can't get on you know blah 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 but i'm really proud of this five and i'd love you to share it around if you get an opportunity and i share it around and they're like you know a couple of people who follow me are like oh yeah great oh there's this new bit and share it around suddenly with those followings it wouldn't take in 24 hours in like 48 hours you can really have that clip seen by as many people that would have seen you do it oh for sure on that tonight show and that's even at the moment let alone if there was some sort of coordinated Mm -hmm. if you saw someone like oh yeah obviously not everyone has the fucking plug everyone's thursday night in (laughs) cleveland i'm not saying that but someone's specials out or they've just debuted their album or you know like your movies out just the community just get together just kind of like you know have a bit of an organized sort of you know pass it around and help each other out because it'll help us all out it's the coolest thing about what you're talking about the social media component to it but also the podcast community the comedy community and the making of this movie this movie was funded by the podcast community right chris and i were guests on 30 some shows during the kickstarter i'm going to be on a million podcasts now to promote the sale right. of it and it's it's the promotion of this medium that we all love and get and we want everyone to kind of see how cool it is it's it's empowering on a lot of levels for me as a guy that you know it's been traditional media. Hollywood has sort of turned their back on me a little bit. And partially I've also just said, eh, I'm not going to chase you. Cause I'd rather pursue the amount of time to put into the festival and comedy film nerds and earbuds actually gets, pays me back immediately versus writing a script and pitching it around town to get bought as a sitcom. I could do that for nine months and get nothing. On, on the upside, I just feel like it might be the right time to be a white guy again. So. <laughs> Don't, don't write yourself off, mate. Oh, we got to make America great, Will. <laughs> make America Graham again. Yeah. Make America Graham again. That's that's what we're going to do. Make America Graham again. Amen, brother. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's been cool. Like, it's going to these festivals as a filmmaker. You get treated, you know, sometimes as a comedian. How do you get treated? Tell me the difference. This is what I want, I'd like to I'll know. I'll tell you the exact difference. So as a stand-up comic, all right, so I'm, I headline, but I'm not like a big name. I'm known in the comedy community. Right. I can't, my name on a marquee doesn't sell it out. I no, just can't. But, it, that you, but you put, a lot of clubs book you because they have an audience or yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And you come in and you do as good a job headlining that room as anyone who does have an audience. Right. So they have a built-in email list and audience. I bring right. a handful of people and I crush and I do a great job and that's good. But it's hard, man. And unless you are a big draw, you are... You know, I mean, Woody Allen said it. He goes, stand-up comedy is always at the kids' table. It doesn't get as much... The art form itself doesn't get as much respect. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, though, despite the fact that, like, you know, say the Oscars, for example, they're hosted by a comedian. Right. Like, you know, we we go to comedians to tell us, like, you know, election news or to, you know, Mm -hmm. host your talk shows or, you know, all these sort of things. Like, so... In some ways, it's so, particularly in America, so integral to right. your stories. Like, I mean, even the fact that the the presidential candidates both are tested on their stand-up comedy, essentially. Right. You know, they have to do these, like, roast speeches, which are essentially stand-up. The idea that you even have, like, I mean, you know, the, the one where the, the comedian will roast the president, yeah. whatever the, the reporters want or whatever yeah, it yeah. is. Like... They will stand there next to the Stephen Colbert one still to this day is one of the bravest bits of comedy I've ever seen in my entire life. Like to this like audience of people just not like not really laughing and to a president that he's like really essentially like roasting in this thing. And I'm like, well, you let this happen. You 
value the role of the joker enough that you let them stand, like you value the role of the jester enough that you let them make fun of the king. Yet as an art form, it's still the kid's table. I find they're really conflicting, It's really weird. Confused things. Some people like think it's so amazing, but then they just sort of discard it in a lot of ways. And then when you're at a film festival, I think everybody understands how much work it takes to make a movie. Right. And ever a lot of people, oh, I'd like to make it. So when you actually finish it, people are like, wow. And it's a cool feeling. And like, you know, in Romania and all these festivals, they, they, uh, Napa Festival was unbelievable. And they just give you such respect that you're like, and I also think too, as a comedian here in Hollywood, we're just, you know, we're not treated that well. And it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like trying to get people out to your shows in LA. It's the worst. It's the worst. Well, because they're sport for choice. Right. So they choose nothing. They choose nothing. Or they only, they star fuck. They just go for the, oh, this big fancy person's here. And it's like, I could give you 15 comedians equally as good. They're just, they're just not as known. Well, all the best comedians are here. This is the funniest thing about this. Like, this is like one of those places where, I mean, I guess what it's like is, it's like if you're one of the those second-rung Avengers. Right. Like, so normally if you're a second-rung Avenger, like if it's a Captain America movie, you might get like a big role. But if it's like Avengers, then, you know, to be honest, mate, you're, gonna, you're, you're probably going to get killed early on. Yeah. So, they, might, they might just pan by your uniform. Right. Oh, no, like you'll hanging. be in it. Yeah. <laughs> but towards the edges. Yeah. <laughs> like if somebody's watching it on a box screen, you're not in it. But if they're on <laughs> widescreen, you're still in the movie. But then, yeah, so then like, and when you finish your movie, I just notice people like, oh, wow. Right. And when you say, it's like it's like producing LA Podfest. People go, oh, wow, you're involved in that? I go, yeah, I helped create yeah. it. And they go, oh, wow, because they realize how much work it is, even though it's a lot of work to write jokes and to go on stage and not anybody can do it. Well, I think one of the things about stand-up comedy is that uh, when it's at its best, it looks easy. Yes. And people confuse that for it being easy. Oh, that's exact. Here's, here's, here's what happens. So- some guy goes to a local comedy club and he sees a guy on stage making it look easy. He's just talking. Then this right. guy goes back. To or the, so he thinks. Or so he thinks. Yeah. That's what he thinks. It's perception. Um, he, I'll start with this analogy. He goes to watch a professional athlete or musician and thinks, oh, I could probably do that. He picks up the ball or the instrument and goes, oh, there's no way right. I could do that. He sees the comedian, thinks I could do that, goes to his office, makes a joke in the lunchroom. Everyone laughs and goes, yep, I can do that. Right. No, you can't. You did not. You did not hit a three-pointer with the person in your face for the NBA finals. You didn't do that. Yeah. You you threw one in the garbage, a Nerf hoop in, in your kid's room. <laughs> That's what you did. So just, just so you know where you're at. <laughs> So that's the problem with comedy. When it's done well, it looks like anyone can do it. Right. And yeah. I mean, because we all talk. Like that's like one of those things you're going, and and we've all probably made people laugh. I'm funny at, at some parties. stage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know. So I guess that like there's not. You know. Yeah. I guess how you can kind of think. All right. Well, I could you know take this on the road. <laughs> I could take polite dinner conversation on the road, you know? Uh, so what are your film festivals like? What happens at a film festival? Do they, people watch the film and then you do Q&As or stuff like that? Is yeah, that we, how it we works? we do a lot of that. Each one is very different okay. from itself. Like we premiered it at San Francisco Documentary Festival, which is okay. a 15, 16-year-old. It's a very sort of prestigious doc fest. Yeah. So we premiered there. It's very San Francisco, very indie, couple of like 
cool little indie theaters in San Francisco. And it was really cool. And it's very, it's, it's a nice feather in your cap as a doc filmmaker. And do you sit in the audience uh, while the, an audience watches the film and watch them watch the film? The first couple of times I did. Okay. And so firstly, uh, what's the reaction been like? Like, you know, what is the, like, what, you know, what's the kind of audience vibe on the film? Like, how do they receive it? It's been great. And there's always a mix of like, podcast fans like Kickstarter backers or whatever who are like, oh, I can't wait to see this. And the, I have no idea what this is. I'm just curious. And they all kind of get it and they all get the emotion of it. We sort of, you know, Chris and I laugh that it's sort of a Trojan horse. You you think it's just going to be this, oh, this comedian documentary and it gets very emotional and people are like, man, you made me cry. And so it's cool watching the audience go through that. It's cool watching them laugh at certain moments. You get some laughs. Like I, I was, oh, good. I, that, well, I mean, that was going to be my next question. Do I get some laughs? Don't worry, Will. Yeah. I made everybody look good. I know the comedian's vanity quite well. That's the yeah. advantage of having a comedian direct the thing you're in because he's like, no, 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 that joke needs to be better or get the other take. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was really cool watching the reactions. And then the Q&A, the questions have been really interesting. Um, what what have been the what what are the major questions? What do people want to know? How do I how do I listen? It's usually someone who's slightly older uh-huh. going. How do I listen to this? Where do I find this? And I say, do you have an iPhone? And they go, yeah. I go, you have an, a purple podcast right. app on. It's already on your phone. It's on your phone. Yeah. And I walk them through that process, and they go, oh. And I say, or you can. And I and I say, or you can go to iTunes website. I go, if you go to comedyfilmers.com, we have a player. You can just click play, and they're like, oh, cool. And I said, then there's other. Um, apps and stuff that kind of aggregate a bunch of shows that you can do that. And they're like, oh, so I always get that question. Um, uh, and then I get the... Um, yeah, if anybody is listening to this podcast, and because uh, I, I haven't really encouraged anybody of late. I've been a bit... Uh, I was I was really busy at home and I've had a bunch of other podcasts on. It's crazy. I've got so many stupid side projects now. Like I, I really do have a whole imaginary. I, I've been working on a new podcast as a, as a kind of second banana. I have a, <laughs> I have a friend who wanted to do a podcast about international comedy and I was just I like I was a guest on the pilot and then the person she was going to do with it dropped out and so I've kind of been like the second banana but it's been really fascinating I've really enjoyed doing it but I'm like I do not need another podcast yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been not doing this one as much uh, so I would actually while we're talking about this um, it, you know uh, if you want to subscribe that always helps uh, if you want to mm-hmm. rate it that helps I know everyone always says this on these podcasts whether it's for this podcast or whether it's for another podcast that you listen to, if there is something that you do really like or you hear an episode that you're like, I really love that episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you don't have the money to support them on Patreon or you're never going to see one of their shows or like any of those sort of things. Here's what you can do. Just rate it and review it. Like It's valuable. Right, it helps. It very, every little thing helps. Chris and I always talk about in Comedy Filmers, every little review, every like, just following us on social media, those numbers help. Right, tweet. I mean, like literally yeah. those sort of things where you're just like, hey, you know, if you've got a friend, if you've got a friend you think, you know, who would like it, or if you've got a friend you think would like podcasts but just doesn't know how to use podcasts, <laughs> take a sh- second and show them on their phone. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, those sort of things, like you guys helping spread the word of these things. And again, this is why I think it's important when you are in this community to spread the word of other podcasts and stuff as well. Like, you know, get people on and tell people about things that you've liked or mm-hmm. take a chance and go and do their podcast as well. So so that the word gets out there more. I, I think it's interesting because what we're seeing in podcasting and a lot of digital stuff and what maybe this 
part of this big sort of global fight is a lot of people don't want to let go of the old business model. Like we were talking about, you know, we need to have a conversation with corporations on how to operate and be more ethical. Part of their whole, their old model is that like, there will be blood. Like I need to take a straw. I need to steal. Like for me to be successful, right. I got to crush you. Yeah. And in this world, for me to be successful, I need to help you and you need to help me. Right. Like it's high tide raises all boats. And that's what makes it so wonderful. That's why there is this podcast community. And that's the thing that is so awesome. So you promoting my film is good for you because you're in it. And it's good for podcasting because someone might who's never heard of you, isn't Australian or whatever, could watch this movie and go, this, this, this Tofop, I got to watch that or listen to that shit. I know, I want to know Will is. You I know? mean, I, I, just this weekend, last weekend in Cleveland, I was having a chat to someone after the show and just asked them how, you know, why and how they come to the show. Cause I was particularly mm -hmm. in places like that, just like to know if anyone's there on purpose. And, <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, radio station. Oh, radio, radio okay, <laughs> I was right. just about to say radio giveaway. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and she, but she was a, a fan of the dollop, and she had heard me on a couple of episodes of that, right. and then kind of followed through my things. That's how it works. Anyway, all right. So tell people again one more time. How do they find the the film? I mean, obviously they can listen to your podcast, Comedy sure. Film Nerds. They should do that anyway. It's a great podcast. Will's been on it a bunch of times. I have indeed. If you go to comedyfilmnerds.com, so you can download. It's right on the homepage. Earbuds, the podcasting documentary. And our podcast to subscribe to that is right there on the homepage. Um, we're at Comedy Film Nerds on uh, Twitter. Um, there's an at Earbuds Pod Movie. Uh, but download the film. It's it's some of those of you who didn't know that much about it and didn't subscribe to the Kickstarter or whatever. I you're gonna love it if you like podcasting. You will love it, and um, it's it's something I'm I'm very proud of, and it shows the inclusion of our world and the global community that we're in. And it's to me, it's more important now than ever since we have a president in the United States who's going to be the president who is about exclusion and walls and dividing people. Uh, to me, this movie is more important now than ever. Plus, watch it before we're both locked up for saying things like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So before they put us in a re-education <laughs> camp with the... <laughs> The, the Muslims on the list or whatever. So uh. Uh, I, I've got some dates. I, I'm doing the Dollop Live Tours, uh, that, which is this weekend, Seattle, Portland, and uh, San Francisco. And then uh, the week after that, I am in Denver at Comedy Works. And then, oh no, sorry. The week after that, I'm in Alaska doing the Fairbanks run. The week after that, Denver Comedy Works. The week after that, I'm in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, January, uh, early January, I'm in Bermuda. Uh, my special, January 22nd. Sorry, there are a lot of dates. January 22nd, my special <laughs> Fire at Will at the Comedy Theatre in Melbourne and uh, Critically Will, my new tour, is on sale already in Adelaide and now in Melbourne, uh, Sydney Opera House will be April the 8th, I think, at this stage. Uh, Brisbane, Perth, Hobart, all uh, on sale very, very soon. So that's the plugs. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to say this. We are trying to look in setting up taking earbuds and doing some live screenings and some comedy film nerd shows. We're looking to come to Australia in probably January. -ish. Yes. So uh, look for that. Will will be on some of those shows. Yes, indeed. So yeah, uh, we'll, and we'll make sure that we tell everybody about yeah. that as well. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, dude.